Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So we sing forever and our God is everlasting. Do you understand that that means the God of the Bible, starting at Genesis 1, the God who created all things, the God who was faithful in Abraham's life, the God who was uh, faithful in Moses' life, the God who was faithful in Daniel's life, in in the Apostle Paul's life. He's here today, right? He is at work today. Hey, Anthony, could you try to find... Uh, the song, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. See if you can find it. It should be in there, all right? But uh, so that means that what are your needs today? What are the challenges that are facing you today? You know, the sermon, we have a sermon that's on a, on a particular passage of Scripture and the subject that, that God raises there. And sometimes we feel like, hey, that, that's not really pertinent to my situation right now. But let me tell you, our God is indeed faithful And I've discovered more than once that sometimes a sermon that's not at all about what I'm dealing with, that someplace along the way, God speaks to my heart about something. And he is faithful to do that. Did you find it, Anthony? There we go. So let's just sing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will. And consciously to the Lord here, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto... Let's sing this this slide again. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We're so grateful for your faithfulness, Father. We praise you for it. We, We worship you for it. And then we... Just say thank you. And, and we know that you will, but we express our need. We need you to be faithful to us here today. As we look to your word, we need your spirit to speak to us about the things that are there in your word, what we need to know. And also, Lord, we need you to speak to us about us and, and what we need to hear from you. So we look forward to that. And, and we already start, Lord, by saying yes to whatever you might say to us here today. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it cool to know the Lord is here? Well, if I say the word generous or generosity, generosity, what comes to mind? 
You might think of, of the billionaires, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates and uh, Warren Buffett. And, and they have, you know, started this endeavor a few years ago, challenging people who are very, very wealthy to give away at least half of their wealth and to begin while they're still alive, not waiting until they pass away, to begin now. Very, very generous, right? Millions and millions, maybe billions of dollars have been given. And we think of generosity that way often, right? Rich people giving a lot of money, okay? And that's a good thing. It's a good thing what they're trying to do. Uh, and that in mind, thinking about rich people who give a lot of money, let me share a story with you about a guy named R.G. Letourneau. Uh, back in 1901, there was a, a boy named R.G. Letourneau who dropped out of school after the sixth grade. Something we would tell our kids what? Don't do that. Uh, but he did it, and he began working in an iron foundry to help support his family. Uh, through a number of different jobs and various trades over the years, R.G. became really interested. He discovered he had a passion for, for working with machinery especially large machinery of different kinds. And he got involved in working in the excavation industry. Now, at that time, if you wanted to build a road or level out a lot, you brought in a whole bunch of guys with axes and shovels and picks. Very, very labor-intensive and did that. Well, he got involved in this and eventually started his own excavation company, but he, he kept thinking, and with his love for machinery, and he started inventing machines to do this work that could take the place of 15 men, 100 men sometimes, uh, and to work on that. So he, he began uh, inventing machines to use in his own excavation company. Now, he was a Christian, and in 1919, he felt a tug in his heart that he should be doing something more for the Lord. He's thinking, maybe I'm supposed to be a preacher. Maybe I'm supposed to be a missionary. And so he went to his pastor and, and a lot of counsel and talking about this and his desire to do more for the Lord. And the pastor prayed with him. And, and when it was done, all of a sudden the pastor said, you know, I have a sense, uh, R.G., that I need to tell you this. And he said, God needs businessmen, too. Not just preachers and missionaries. He needs businessmen. And R.G. was surprised about this, but then all of a sudden it captured his imagination. And so he went back. He, at this point, he refocused his business, okay, and began consciously. He, he added a new business partner to his, his business. If you ask him, he said, my new business partner is God, okay? God is my business partner. And he believed that he was in business with God. He was in business for God. And, and it wasn't long before two things happened. First is that he switched his business from being about actually doing excavation to making machinery for excavations. And even though he was doing this right in the early years, the worst years of the Great Depression, nonetheless, his company began making millions and millions of dollars. Okay, that's the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened is that he and his wife made a decision about their giving, that they were going to start using a modified version of the 90%, 10% model that, that Christians often use. And what they decided is that they were going to give God 90% and live off 10%. And, uh, you know, what followed was an amazing generosity. It was inspired and empowered by God. Over the years, the Laternos gave away millions and millions and millions of dollars to the work of God in the United States and around the world. 
God honored their desire to be generous with their money. I mean, if you're going to say, I'm going to give away 90% of our, my income, that's being generous, isn't it? God honored that. Uh, and it seems like God prospered their business even more after this. During World War II, you know, the United States is having to build airstrips and all sorts of things all over the world. 70% of the equipment used by the United States military was Laternos. I mean, that's a lot. Uh, very, very rich, very, very wealthy, very, very generous. By the way, uh, when all was said and done, RG held more than 300 patents related to heavy machinery, and uh, many of those things he invented are still in use today. And so there's a lot more to the story that we don't have time to, to take, but is it safe to say that R.G. Letourneau and his wife were generous people? Right? A great example for every Christian to consider. But once again, that's someone with a lot of money, being generous in, in great ways and giving massive amounts of money. Today, we want to start talking about ourselves and what God has to say about that and us becoming generous people. So starting a four-week sermon series entitled The Macedonian Principles, talking about God-powered generosity. Not money-powered generosity, but God-powered generosity. And so we are going to uh, take a look in uh, two chapters, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, uh, to see what God has to say about this. Um, all right, so before, let me see. Before we read it, let me set the stage for you. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, he is telling them that they need to participate in an offering that's being taken up. The, the Christians that were back in, in the land of Israel, there had been a famine earlier and then the persecutions. Also, they were very, very poor. And so those who were Christian around the world, there weren't lots of Christians around the world, but the pockets of Christianity around the world began to collect money to send to them to meet that great need. And as we begin in chapter 8, so Paul is talking to the Corinthians about this and challenging them to be in, involved. But he starts talking about another group of Christians. And it was Christians in Macedonia. Now, where's Macedonia? Well, it's the northern part of Greece, right? And if you remember the story, Paul doesn't know where to go. He can't figure out where God wants to go, and he has a dream that a man from Macedonia, remember what he said? Come over here to us. We need you. And so he went there. City of Philippi. Remember what happened in Philippi? Paul gets, Paul and Silas get beaten, thrown in jail, miraculous things God does, but a lot of persecution. They move on to Thessalonica. Uh, people are getting saved. Not very long after that, they get run out of town. They go to Berea. Same thing happens. And so Paul had to move on. And so he didn't get a lot of time to invest in them like he would have liked to. But what's happened is they have heard about this offering they are a persecuted church. And by the way, typically if you are persecuted, you end up losing wealth, right? You lose power, you lose wealth. And so they had become poor, right? But here's what Paul's going to say. I, he's going to use them as an example for the Corinthians to say, I want you to see how these people, the Christians in Macedonia, have responded to this offering with tremendous generosity. All right, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's page 1331 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. So let's begin right in verse number one. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Remember, that's Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those places. He says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. And that word liberality is the idea of generosity. In fact, sometimes it's translated that way, generosity. Liberality means great freedom in giving. He says, verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Titus, Paul's co-worker. Verse 7, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. All right. So this is Paul's challenge to them. And we're over the next few weeks going to continue uh, through chapter 8 and into chapter 9. But I want you to see some. Let's go back and look at verse 1 again. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So here he is. He's going to talk about their giving and their generous giving, that they're generous people. And he says, but when he describes the big picture, he says, I want to talk to you about the grace of God in their lives. The grace of God is, is inseparably connected to being a generous person, exercising generosity. Let's go down to verse 6. He says, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And so he's talking about giving this offering, but he's describing it as this grace. It is a grace. Generous giving is a grace. Verse 7, but as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, in your love for see that you abound in this grace also. So Paul talks about uh, generous giving. Being a generous person as being a grace in a person's life. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's, let's talk about that. But first, I want you to see this, that generosity is a grace every Christian should learn, according to what Paul says here, right? We should all learn this grace and practice this grace of being generous people, of giving generously when we have the opportunity to do so. And it helps us to understand what he's talking about because he mentions some other grace-powered things there in verse 7. Look at it, right? He says, faith. Does, does God produce faith in it? Does God work in our lives to enable us to have faith? Sure he does, right? Ephesians chapter 2 uh, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. God's grace Enabling us to be saved. And let me just take a moment and say, if you're here today and you don't understand what we just read, that for by grace are you saved through faith, maybe you're watching today and you aren't sure what we're talking about, this is what we're talking about. Every one of us in our lives have messed up. We've fallen short of what God's high standards are. The Bible calls that sin. 
We've all sinned against a holy God. We've done our own thing. We've done things we knew we shouldn't have done, and we haven't done things we knew we should have done. And sometimes we've done things that we ought to do, but we did it with the wrong attitudes, right? And so we get this. We've all messed up before God. The Bible is very clear that that separates us from God. Our, our decisions to sin in life have separated us from a personal relationship with God. And if we die in that condition, the Bible very plainly says that we will be separated from God for eternity in a place that we typically call hell. Terrible thing. But the good news is that God loved us so much, does love us so much, that he sent his son Jesus into the world, and Jesus came, lived a sinless, perfect life. And then when he went to the cross and was was dying there, the Bible says that God took the penalty for my sins and put them on Jesus. All of my sins, all the sins I would ever commit, Put him on Jesus and he dies there paying the penalty for my sins. The same for you. The same for everyone in the whole world, right? Jesus died paying the penalty for sin. Rises again from the dead. And and what he tells us now is that if we will admit, be honest with ourselves and honest with God, that yes, I have sinned against God. I have not done, you know, always what I'm supposed to do. I haven't always not done what I wasn't. I mean, yes, I have blown it. And that I need God's forgiveness. If I can do that, then I can say, all right, I am making a decision right now to put my faith in Jesus and what he did for me when he died for me on the cross. That his death will pay the penalty for my sins. You know, I'm going to receive Jesus as my Savior. And the moment we choose to do that, we're turning away from solving the problem on our own. We're turning away from our own push life and turning to him and say, I am helpless and hopeless apart from you. I need you to, to forgive my sins and do a work in my life. And the Bible promises, God promises that when we do that, every sin is forgiven. Every sin. I remember when I did this and I prayed that the prayer to God and he, every sin forgiven. And not only that, then I had a confidence that when this life was over, I was going to heaven. Not because of what I have done or what I, how I have lived, but by God's grace, he enabled me to put faith in Jesus. You see that? That's what this verse means. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. But I want you to see that faith is, is a grace thing in our lives. So the next one on the list is he says, your speech He says, let your speech always be with grace. Go ahead and go to that next one if you would, Anthony. Let your speech always be with grace. Anybody here besides me uh, need to be careful about what you say? Anybody here married? Do you need to be careful what you say? (laughs) You guys are still kind of asleep like you were at the start of the service, aren't you? It's only 46 days till spring. Hang in there. But so grace, learning to speak for the Lord, to speak in a way that honors the Lord, uh, speak in a way that the Lord can work through us. That's a grace thing. Knowledge, knowing the things that we need to know as Christians and understanding them. Proverbs says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We have to look to him and depend on him and his grace working in our lives to understand what we need to. Then he talks about diligence being a grace. 
Uh, and Peter says, talking about God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And then he lists a number of things. But diligence is right in the middle of this. God, we need God's grace to be diligent. Any of you ever gone on a diet before? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Any of you got on a diet and the next day you changed your mind? And then the next day you went back on the diet? And you t- See, we need God's grace to enable us to be diligent, not just about diets, but about all the things in our lives that are important, okay? And he talks about love being a grace. But so he comes down, he says, generosity is also a grace. Giving generously is a grace. Then he says, see that you abound in this grace also. So, so generous giving then is part of whole life discipleship. It's not something that's out here by itself. It's, it's part of being a follower of Christ. Every follower of Christ is called to become a generous person. How do we know that? Well, we read this here, but look, we grow to be like what? We grow to be like the Lord. He was the most generous human being that ever lived. We'll see that in a later sermon. Okay? So we're going to be like God. We have to be generous. It is Something that is supposed to be part of our lives. By the way, learning to give generously grows us in ways that few other things do. When it comes to the money in your pocket or the money in your bank account, that's a challenge, isn't it? What am I supposed to do with this? And so when we start learning to become a generous person and then we begin to give generously, we learn a whole lot more than just about giving generously. We start to learn about the Lordship of Christ in our lives, that issue. We start uh, learning about God being the source of all we have, right? And we depend on Him. We start learning about the fact that God will provide for us when we are following Him. We learn the truth that God will actually lead us in our decisions through our provision, through His provision for us. And we're challenged even about our love for the Lord and our love for the fellow man. All of these things are offshoots and connected to becoming a generous person. And being, working to become a generous person is going to make you deal with all of those other things. Very, very valuable. I look back on, on my life and learning early on in my Christian life the kinds of things that I'm talking to you about here. And by the way, still a work in progress in my life, Okay. As Paul said last week, I haven't arrived here, but I pressed on. Um, but the things, all the lessons related to giving and the things that, that came up in life because of learning to give were so beneficial to me. I, I, I can't imagine not having learned those things. And, and the, the idea of saying I need to be a generous giver made me learn those things. I was going to do it. And so we see here that generosity is a grace that every Christian should learn. All right? This is something that we are all supposed to be. Generosity is not just for some people. So let's, uh, uh, I mean, generosity is as much a part of the Christian life as reading the Bible, as praying, as witnessing, as worshiping, every bit as much a part. Can we kind of try to normalize that in our minds? You understand what I'm saying, right? Learning to be a generous giver is just as much a part of the Christian life as reading your Bible and as praying and as worshiping with your brothers and as sharing your faith. Okay, it's important. 
very important. So what are we talking about when we talk about being generous then? What do we mean? Well, the dictionary definitions in English language for generous are, first of all, showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. In other words, here's might be what's necessary, here's might be what's expected, but if I'm generous, I'm going to give beyond that. Okay? It means liberal in giving or sharing. And again, the word liberal, don't think politics. Liberal means free, open. That's really the root meaning of the word liberal. Freely, free in giving or sharing. Do it freely, as we'll see, willingly. Now, the definitions for generous typically include this idea of giving in it, giving and sharing. But, you know, you go down to the second and third definitions, you begin to discover that generous also applies to the person themselves. They were talking about becoming a, not just learning to give generously, but becoming a generous person. Okay, so let's look at those definitions. So being a generous person, characterized by a noble or a kindly spirit, free from meanness or smallness of mind or character. Now I like this word, magnanimous. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Everybody say magnanimous. I know a big word, right? Magnanimous. Okay, what does magnanimous mean? It means showing a lofty and courageous spirit, a nobility of feeling, and generosity of mind. Not just generosity of giving, but a generosity of mind. It's how we look at life. It's how we look at our relationship with God, how we look at the relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, how we look at our relationship with the people who don't know him. All of these things. It's, it's about who we are. We want to become generous people, not just generous givers. Okay, I think it's very important. Now, let's go back and look at the scripture here. So we're in chapter 8, verse number 2. He says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So they had the joy of the Lord in their lives, and the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And But then they had like, this much money. I mean, right? Hardly any money to their name. And yet their relationship with God and this lack of money, they still somehow managed to give generously. And so it's a really important lesson to learn because we talked early on about, yeah, millionaires give away. They can be very generous. But so can we, because here's the truth. Generosity does not depend on how much money you have. Generosity is not about how much money you have. Because understand, wealth doesn't produce generosity. There are plenty of wealthy people who aren't generous, right? And guess what? Poverty doesn't prevent generosity. Poverty doesn't repent, uh, uh, excuse me, pre prevent generosity. You know, this is even true for people who we aren't even looking at as Christians, just people in general. In back in 2007, the Bureau of Labor Statistics did a study. And here's what they discovered, that the poor, poorest givers, these are the, in the bottom one-fifth of income, they gave away 4.3% of their income. The richest one-fifth at the top gave away 2.1% of their income. Who do you think gave more money? Who do you think gave more money? The rich absolutely gave more money. Who gave more of their money? <laughs> the poor. 
right? So understand that this idea of generosity is not tied up with how much money you have. Poverty, poverty, even your poverty, cannot prevent generosity. Now, uh, loving the wrong things can prevent generosity. Misplaced passions can prevent generosity. Having a self-focus in life can prevent generosity. But poverty does not. So here's the, the cool thing. It doesn't matter how much money you have today or don't have. You can become a generous person. And you can become a generous giver. Think of this. We, we know this story, right? Jesus goes to the temple and he's standing at the temple and he's watching with the, the treasury. And the way they took their offerings at this point in time, they had these, these brass, I think it was brass or bronze, trumpets. They called them trumpets because you know how the trumpet opens up, right? And, and uh, so what people would do, the rich people would go, depending on what they wanted to do, and they were going to give a lot. They would, you know, with all the coins, they would just dump the coins. And what do you hear? It gets everybody's attention. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And then Jesus watches, and a, a widow woman comes up, maybe hobbles up to it, and she has two tiny little coins, not worth much of anything in human eyes. And she drops them in. Nobody hears a thing. And then Jesus talks to his disciples. He says, I want you to know something. He says, all those people who gave a lot, said that was easy for them. They gave it out of their abundance. And then he says this about the widow. He says, they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had. Poverty does not prevent generosity. Generosity is not about how much money you have. So every one of us can become generous people. And the good news is once you become a generous person, can I say, once you become a generous, let me back up. There's often a tendency for people who are hearing this kind of stuff for the first time, talking about giving, you know, oh boy, they're talking about giving again, and oh, I want some money. Can I say to you today that honest, 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 I do not want to get anything from you. I want to give something to you. And that is a way of life that you will love and be glad for. Okay? But the idea is once you become a generous person, the question isn't anymore how much I can, you don't have to worry about it. Because if you are a generous person, you will what? You will give generously. So see, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to become. So let's look here, verse number three. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And as we see on the screen there, generous Christians, what's the next word? Want to give generously. You want to. And so what we see here is, you know, they didn't have much money, but they wanted to give. They, in fact, they, please, you know, take this gift, and we'll see that in the next verse some. But they gave according to their ability. And how much ability do poor people have to give? It's not a trick question. I know I asked a trick question. This is not one of them. How much money do poor people have to give? Not very much. But they gave what they were able to give. An important thing here, it says, not only did they give what they were able to give, they were willing to give more than they were able to give. How's that going to, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but God, I want 
to give. I've already given all I could give. I want to give more. Now, how can they give more? Well, all of our generous giving is a grace, right? Can God in his gracious working in our lives provide us with more? So there have been times in, in our lives, Glenda and my life, way back, uh, when we were definitely under the poverty level. We were. Uh, back in the, uh, right around the 1980s. Like right at 1980 in that area. Just to give you an idea, and this would be worth more today, but there were times when we, we were at Bible college and trying to make ends meet that our budget, our grocery budget was about $7 a week. So what's that today? $15, $20 a week? God had to work in our lives to make it. I didn't have a surplus at the time. All right? So we had to trust God and see him work. And then over the years, and he did, he worked in our lives and, and helped us, but we learned to give back then, and we didn't have very much money to give, and we didn't give very much money. But we learned to give generously out of what we had. And God cares. Now, over the years, what we discovered, there were times and places where, where things came up where we wanted to give some money to something or we did give money to something and we would have liked to have given more. And there have been times when all of a sudden, wait a minute, some extra money has just come in. Wow, God has given us this to use and, and I'm pretty sure we want to give some or all of that. Or he enabled us to remember that, oh yeah, this and this and we were able to give more. You see, and I, I just want to be really clear again and say that I'm a, in a, a work in progress on this, okay? I haven't arrived at being the generous person, but there have been plenty of times where God has moved and uh, enabled us to give more than we could have. We, we gave to our ability, and we were willing beyond our ability, and God provided that, okay? Um, very, very important for us. Let's... Let's see here. So generous Christians want to be, oh yeah, become generous, uh, give generously. You notice at the end of verse 3, they were freely willing. So when the offering plate comes by you, or you receive a request in the mail, or somebody talks to you about a need, when this comes up, do you feel like you have to give? Do you feel forced to give? If I don't give, somebody's going to think this, that, or right, or whatever. And Okay. That's not what we're talking about, are we? They were what? Freely willing. Generosity, giving generously, can never be forced. I don't care how much money you give. If it's forced, it's not generosity. Remember the whole idea of generosity is free. Freely giving. Uh, so here's something I'm learning, unrelated to giving, but the, the lesson applies. What I'm learning is this. If you want to get healthy, this is what I'm getting healthy, don't lose weight to get healthy. Now, that's counterintuitive, haven't we always heard? If you want to be healthy, do what? Lose weight. Being overweight is the symptom of not being healthy. Okay? So don't lose weight to become healthy. What you want to do is become healthy to lose weight. Because when you become a healthy person, 
you will be losing weight. Does that make sense? You say, well, you're crazy. No, I have it on good authority, okay? Don't lose weight to become healthy. Become healthy, and you will lose weight. All right, so what does this have to do with generous, generosity and giving? Don't try to give generously in order to become a generous person. And I always feel like I have to do this because I'm supposed to be a generous person. I have to do this. No, no, no. What you want to do is become a generous person, and you will give generously. That sort of makes sense? We want to become generous because, see, generous Christians, what? Want to give generously. Now, if we're talking about health, so I'm saying, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to lose weight in order to become healthy. Instead, I'm going to try to become a healthy person, knowing that I will lose weight if I do. Now, if I want to become a healthy person, how do I need to start eating? Like a what? Healthy person. (laughs) All right, I actually need to start acting like a healthy person, living like a healthy person. Okay. Now, same way with this idea of generosity. I said, I'm not going to, I'm not focusing on the giving. I have to give. I have to give. No, no, no. I want to become a generous person. All right. So I want to be a generous person. Well, what do generous people do? They what? Give. And so I do want to start giving, but I don't want to get this backwards. Does that make sense? It's a heart issue. It's a people issue. So it's, it's where's my heart in all this? If I want to be a generous person, then I can start looking at the giving and figure it out. If you don't want to become a generous person, I'm going to, you know, you need to take that up with the Lord, uh, not with me, okay? All right, fine, let's go down here. Well, it's not finally, it's almost finally. Verse 4. What do they do? It says, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So when they gave, they didn't see this as just about giving money to people who needed it. They saw this as fellowship and ministry. This is what? This is the work of God. This is not just about here and now. This is about eternal things. The fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And so I want you to understand this, that, that generous Christians have a good grasp on eternal values. That's part of being generous. You start to understand, I'm living for eternity here. I'm using my money for eternal purposes. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Down in verse 17. <clears throat> Paul writes these words to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. By the way, do you understand that you're probably, most of you here today are in the top 1% of income people in the world? Not in the United States, but in the world. This applies to us. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. In other words, that they would be what? Generous. Generous not just with their money, but with themselves. And then he says this, this is where the eternal values come in. He says, storing up for themselves a good foundation 
for the time to come. All right, so what I'm doing now is going to matter forever. And then he says this, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And we had that same phrase last week. Paul talked about it, you know, laying hold on on, uh, the resurrected life of Christ. So what is that about? He's not talking about I finally get a hold of eternal life and now I'm saved. He's talking about now. He says, the giving stores up for the future and so they can also lay hold on eternal life. Now, what is this about? Well, let me use an illustration for you. Okay, imagine that, and, and you, you guys know horses better than me, right? But so imagine you get on a horse. You get put on a horse. This is what it looks like from where you are. Okay, you're on the horse, and what they do is they strap you to the horse. You cannot possibly fall off this horse. But your feet are not in the stirrups, and your hands are not on the reins. And the horse takes off. What happens to you? When the horse heads forward, what do you do? Yo! And stops. You, you would go off the front, but you can't. You're strapped on. You're not going anywhere. You're stuck there. When the horse turns left, you go right, right? The horse goes right, you go left. It's, you're flailing about wildly. What do you need to do? You need to lay hold of this horse. You need to, you know, get your feet in the stirrups and you need to take the, probably first the saddle horn. Then you need to eventually work up to the reins and maybe even have one hand loose so you can balance as you need to. You need to lay hold onto that horse so you can, I mean, which would be more profitable? Flailing wildly or riding the horse where you want to go? <laughs> okay, same thing, this idea of laying hold on eternal life. When you get eternal life, God has strapped you to eternal life because he's come in you and you got eternal life, you ain't losing it. Bad grammar, I'm sorry. You're not losing it. You're not, there's no way. But if you aren't, becoming the kind of person God wants you to do and learning the things and living those things, you're going to be flailing wildly in life. It's not going to work for you. And so you want to lay hold on eternal life by becoming a generous person. This is what we're talking about now. There's other things, right? Loving person, becoming a, a holy person. I mean, so many things, but we want to lay hold on eternal life. But the idea here is that what's going to help you with becoming a generous person is looking at life from an eternal perspective. Okay, that's going to help you to get a hold of this whole idea of generosity. So what is the key then to becoming a generous person as a result, becoming a generous giver? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm almost done here. And I don't think I have to elaborate on this too much. Verse number 5. So he's telling us they've been involved, they gave, they wanted to give to us, they, they want to be a part. Verse 5, and not only as we had hoped. In other words, Paul is thinking, oh, I hope they will participate, I hope they can give something, but not too much, whatever. He says, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. They first gave themselves to the Lord. So the Macedonian princes, we've got four that we're going to see. The first one is this, give yourself First, don't try to become a generous person without settling this issue in your life. Give yourself first. Give yourself to the Lord first. There needs to be a point in your life when you consciously, knowingly say to the Lord, whatever, right? Whatever, wherever, whenever, however, I am yours, Lord. 
That's a lot bigger than thinking about being generous, isn't it? But it is crucial. It is the foundation that is going to make all the difference in the world. And so God calls us to be generous givers, to be generous people. It's a grace like so many other things in our lives that he wants to do. But the starting point must be, God, I belong to you. What do you want in my life? And make that surrender. That's where this starts. And if you've already done that, praise the Lord, reaffirm it. If you've never done that, today would be a great day to do it. Just right now in your heart, say, oh God, that is me. That is what I want. If you've never received Christ as Savior, that's the first step. We already talked about that today. So the Macedonian principles. First one, give yourself first. And I'm going to ask our band to come back up. We're going to sing, finish our worship today by singing to the Lord again. Because we talk about money, we talk about how much, we talk about circumstances, we talk about attitudes, we talk about all these kinds of things. But bottom line, is Jesus Lord of my life or not? By the way, he is whether you acknowledge it or not. You know, and so who it is we're worshiping? And what does he want to do in our lives? And so we do well here at the end of our our worship today, turning our attention again to who the Lord is and what he's like. So let's stand together and, and worship the Lord.